Hi everyone, I'm Megan, and welcome to Season 3 of Word Crash, the game show where questionable plots compete for your vote to win a place in the Word Crash Hall of Infamy. Let's meet our contestants. First, the author of Dreams of Fire, she's a podcaster, YouTuber, and Empress on High of the Council of Geeks, please welcome back to the show, Vera Wild. Hello, Megan. It's great to be here again. It's great to have you back. Next, a YouTube creator who discusses LGBTQ and nerd culture in equal measure and whose specials on sex and Star Trek run almost as long as the Lord <laughs> of the Rings trilogy. Please welcome Jesse Gender. Thank you for introducing me that way. It's good to be here. <laughs> oh, I love that. I'm stealing that now. <laughs> well, nothing left to do but get to it. Let's play Word Crash. <laughs> Perspective is a funny thing, and today we're flipping everything upside down. It's the heroes you know and love, but they're the villain. Vera, who has chosen the dark path today? Let me paint you a picture. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Here we go. Imagine a world in which our hero... We'll get to the villain. Our hero is a member of a very well-renowned and powerful religious order. In fact, it's a bit of a point of concern to some that this order seems to actually hold more power than the government itself. This is a concern that gets expressed to him. It's a concern he starts to share, especially the more he realizes how emotionally repressed this order forces him to be and requires of him the stamping out of his own feelings while they simply sit back and talk and do nothing and become the arbiters of what is or isn't right. Despite not being elected, not having any actual official role in the government, yet they still guide almost everything. He breaks from them. He moves to see them disbanded, but this sees those closest to him still focused, still absorbed, still brainwashed in the thinking of that religious order. He is forced to turn against them. He is forced into horrible situations, trying to disable this order, to disband it, to get rid of it, to wipe it out, all of its influence ever. And he appears to succeed until sometime later when he finds out that his own son was indoctrinated into this same order and has been sent to kill him. My friends, I give you our hero, Darth Vader, and our villain, Luke Skywalker. Oh my god. This is gonna get even more hilarious. <laughs> that is the most epic setup we have ever had. I love it. I love it so much. You need to add like some dramatic music behind that entire thing, like bum, bum, <laughs> bum, bum. <laughs> Yes, I think this is the first time I'll ever have added music, but I probably will add music. Ooh, flattered. Bum, bum, Just got like an upbeat Imperial March. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> uh, honestly, the only major plot change other than perspective is I think we have to drop the bit where he kills kids. I think we might have to scrap that. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, there's shockingly little that has to actually be changed about this. Yeah, yeah. It's all about framing, and it's all about perspective. One person's, you know, shriveled, emperor. evil, ca cackling emperor <laughs> is another person's wise guide who knows that things had been different and knows that mm -hmm. there can be a different way. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
So if we make Anakin, right? Because we can't call him Darth Vader. We need to call him Anakin and keep him I mean, him we humanized. could, but Anakin, Anakin's a slightly, <laughs> slightly more personable. I like Darth Vader. Just keep him as the, the hero. Darth Vader. That's a very heroic name. Darth. Of the family Darth. <laughs> Short for Darthy. <laughs> if you just take it from a perspective of thinking of the Jedi Order not by default good, because it's just the framing of the films. It says, well, we call this the light side and we call this the dark side. Like, okay. But the guys on the light side also do Suck. lots of sketchy stuff <laughs> and are frequently like waving their hands and, and overriding people's free wills willy nilly. And that is apparently totally okay. And they wield a disturbing amount of power for an unelected religious order. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have my thoughts about the Jedi in the prequels, but I'll save that politics talk for <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> Can we make Luke use the original name then, Starkiller? Luke Starkiller. <laughs> like, yes. 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 Like that. Yes. And then they'll talk about Skywalker base later. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to pull some of the dropped stuff from the original disaster script. <laughs> They did make a comic of that script, by the way, and I read it, and it's it's incomprehensible. I had no idea what was going on. Anyway. I haven't read it, but I've been watching Linkara's reviews of it as he goes mm. through it. Star Wars was supposedly saved in the edit. I don't doubt that the original <laughs> script was a mess. Mm-hmm. For our script, we have got to switch something tonally somewhere. How about that first scene we see Darth Vader? How does that play out when he's the hero? So when you say first scene, I'm assuming you're saying from A New Hope. Yes, from A New okay. Hope. I assume you want to start from A New Hope, unless you want to start yes. someplace else. Yes. Well, I, well hmm. ideally, this would be multi-part. But if we're, if, we're, if we're not being Hollywood executives and planning a trilogy right off the bat for an unproven property, if we're not doing that, and we're dealing with a lot of that other stuff as backstory, as A New Hope did, then we have him catching up and stopping a terrorist group. That has mm. run off with the plans to destroy a peacekeeping station. Mm. As these people, they have fled the scene. They know what they've done is wrong. They are gunning down his men. Like, yeah, of course he's the good guy in that scene. These people are terrorists. And the base is like three days from opening too. And so they're really worried <laughs> about it getting operational. They don't want anything to go wrong. It's going to be the shining beacon of the galaxy finally free from the oppression of the, the order. Disorder. Yes, exactly. And and like knowing that it's so close to operational, that makes it prime target. Because mm-hmm. if these terrorists can blow this thing up right when it is supposed to go active, oh, oh, that'd be disastrous. Maybe to raise the stakes here, it would like reignite a new uh, sort of feeling like the order's still around. It, would, it might actually martyr people for their order. At the very least, it would make them feel powerful even if there are only a few left which is part of the purpose of terrorism in the first place Mm -hmm. you cause damage and fear disproportionate to your numbers yep let's do some initial kick the cat moment there to really show that these people are terrorists who do they kill probably some innocent bystander somebody as they're trying to get these plans we don't need them to kill anybody all we have to do is address the thing that the entire franchise has only ever touched lightly on the idea which is to properly acknowledge the treatment of droids i was just about to say i was okay okay r2d2 and c3po do not want to be there 
They mm-hmm. want no part of this. They are there against their wills. They are begging to be let go. But instead, they are loaded up with data and literally shot out of the ship to crash land on a planet where they are given virtually no choice but to carry out this mission that does not benefit them and never will. Mm-hmm. And they don't have any free will. They have an understanding. They are sentient. Like, you make that point. They are sentient. They are self-aware but they can be programmed in a way that makes it impossible for them to not do it. So if you go into the existential horror of that, you don't need to kill an innocent person. You humanize the droids properly and have that be the way that you show how horrible these people are, that they will put these sentient beings through all this as they beg for it to not happen and then literally fire them at a planet out of a cannon. I'll even make it a little bit more complex. C-3PO is the one who, like, acknowledges that his free will is being destroyed. R2-D2, though, dead set believes everything. Like, he's like, I, I, am, I am the, I am, like, they are my masters. I am subservient to them. It's great. I just, I'm doing everything. And C-3PO is the one that's like, no, this is wrong. But they still have to he's, do it anyways. R2-D2 has drunk the Kool-Aid, but C-3PO yep. knows this is wrong. This is all wrong. That's, <laughs> yeah. And that's why he's always bitching. Yeah, exactly. But he's right. He's Every time you're like, yeah, this guy's got it. <laughs> it seems like it is our lot in life to suffer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes! Right? Oh, my gosh. We have to like emphasize that scariness for the droids. They got to be pushed around. It's dark. We got to have some lights flashing. And R2 is like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, ha- happy <laughs> stuff. And C-3PO is like, where are we going? What are we doing? Who are you? Yep, yep. And we also see the benevolence of Darth Vader's or uh, Anakin's team here because they they shoot them out of the cannon, right? And we have that scene where they're looking at them and being like, oh, is the, there's no life sign in that pod. But in, in our version, it turns out it's like, no, no, those are droids there. We can't shoot them down. I know it's important that we stop them, but we can't kill these innocent droids. Like, we don't want to yes. as they're going down to the planet. We'll catch them at the planet. We'll, we'll get them and save them. <laughs> Sir, yes. those droids, they have no choice. Yeah, exactly. 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 And, and once they're down there, especially if you extra humanize them, that gives you every opportunity to establish what a bastard Luke Starkiller is <laughs> yeah. as he does not consider them people. He considers them service. He disregards it, literally shuts off C-3PO when he annoys him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No interest in any way in considering these as beings with rights. Mm-hmm. Because they're inconveniencing him. I mean, he yeah. wants to go party with his friends in the city, and we should make it party, right? Because you know that's what he's talking about. He wants to go get drunk somewhere with his friends in the city. He doesn't want to have to deal with these droids, right? Even though they're being sold by these slavers. He wants to get some power converters, which is slang for poppers, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> <laughs> oh, not not that we're trying to demonize anyone who takes poppers. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying. I am so out. But what is poppers? I mean, are, are you asking me what is the real world answer to that? What, yeah, what is the real world answer? I like poppers. this will go in. This, the, the, I, I you can put it in. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I know this. I just didn't <laughs> imagine I'd be. Ex- <laughs> I didn't imagine I'd be explaining this today. So I believe the actual chemical mixture is silver sulfide. So back in the 80s, it was actually the kind of stuff that was on VHS head cleaners people would just Mm -hmm. sniff that but these days you can get it small and bottled and it makes you 
lightheaded, it is a head rush, and it is numbing in a way that makes anal penetration much easier. That <laughs> makes it very popular uh, on the gay male scene. That's where it kind of kicked off. Mm-hmm. Fair. Wow. Okay, see, now that I have context, wait, wait, do, does that mean we're queer coding like our Luke Star Killer? No, we're queer coding everybody. Okay, everybody's queer. <laughs> I like this. No, no, no yeah, no, we, we, we are eliminating the heteronormativity. Everybody's fucking everybody. All right, I'm here for okay. it. I'm here for it. The reason why C3PO doesn't abandon R2 is because they just have this bond. C3PO could probably work hard to find a way to walk off, come up with a good reason, a change of masters or something, but he just won't because he loves the radical droid. Mm-hmm. Deeply. We can have that. Also, I'm tempted to say the reason his walk is so um, shuffly and inefficient, he's designed that way so he can't run. Oh. oh. It's the droid God. equivalent of hobbling. That's Oof. dark. Jeez. <laughs> That, that is dark. That's why he moves so clunky. Oof. 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 Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm twitching I, over I, here. I went too far, didn't I? <laughs> so Starkiller must have like grown up on tales of the what we're equating to the Jedi here, right? Like just hearing about them throughout his life. We know that Obi-Wan is in the area and he's at the very least tolerated. Mm-hmm. I think the way to frame this, you do frame it. Starkiller as uh, a bit of a callous turd. If you kind of combine what's already there, which is the rural setting, that this is like a backwater planet that is just kind of out of the loop. He gets vague things about this and that, doesn't really know how the government works, but like, hey, there used to be this group. They did stuff that was neat. And that just gives this old dude a chance to indoctrinate a child. Basically, uh, like, right, this might be too political, but make the Republic great again sort of uh, <laughs> idea. <laughs> might be too political. I'll take that chance. Okay. <laughs> the, the Jedi are, are going to storm <laughs> the station. Oh, God. And make, and make the Republic great again. Oh, God. <laughs> you, you say that, but the original manuscript of my book I had a bunch of people who were upset at an election. They said it was rigged and there was, you know, this big thing about it in there. And when I finally got around to publishing it, I had to cut that part. I had to change it to something else because it became topical. When I wrote it, it was fantasy, right? (laughs) And now it's topical. I have in bits and pieces been working on a zombie concept forever. And every horrible thing that I've put in there has had a real world equivalent happen. Oh, joy. (laughs) Always fun. Isn't our world great? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So back to this. I'm seeing this scene where Luke finally is holding the lightsaber and talking to Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan says something like, it's time to embrace your true name, Starkiller. Mm. Right? (laughs) You've lived your whole life under a fake name. Embrace who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a star killer. <laughs> See, it only takes little tweaks to make Obi-Wan way more like the Emperor. Your your father was killed in the Clone Wars by Anakin, I guess we're going with. <laughs> How did my father die? Well, your father was was a great member of my order. You would do him proud to follow in his footsteps. And if we're going to make this evil, we have to put the midichlorian test in there. Oh, uh, God. 
Yeah, we have to because you are chosen. You are the best. See, they don't say that Luke is a chosen one. We get this idea that maybe that Luke is a chosen one. But really, part of that indoctrination has got to be making him feel like he is special. He is the one. I want to establish that it's fake, that it's all bullshit. Establish that firmly. It's like, oh, you have so many thetans in your system. Oh no, it's all pseudoscience nonsense bullshit. Yeah, it's all it's all bullshit, but they really believe it. Like, yeah. And here, take this supplemental pill. It's our midichlorian booster. <laughs> See, mm-hmm. here's the thing. I'm not sure if we need Obi-Wan to believe it. Luke needs oh, to buy yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Obi-Wan knows, but like at this point, he's just bitter and spiteful and wants revenge. Yeah. Yeah, radicalize this kid. We're good on it. It's fine. <laughs> Han Solo, how does he fit into this? He's just a transport guy. He's just doing space Uber. <laughs> He's just taking what he thinks is a normal job when his ship gets jacked by this freaking kid and this old crazy man. <laughs> and he is forced <laughs> and he's forced to take it to this base to follow what they want to do because these two are nuts. And he... Mm. If you want to get super cruel... You can have them kill Chewie or threaten Chewie as mm-hmm. leverage against Han. Can we kill Chewie, but he turns up like 10 minutes later just perfectly okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm sorry. If we're going to kill Chewie, we got to drop a moon on him. This is true. That is the only way to kill a Wookiee, <laughs> it is known. <laughs> Anakin this entire time is like, he's dealing with Grand Moff Tarkin, he's frustrated. He's tried to build up this new government. He's- there's all this bureaucracy, like, and I just wish I could just go through and just break through the system and do what I want to do, you know? We have to pay those contractors more. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many contractors are working on this? They are working 17-hour days. Yeah, Nickel and Diamond is like, no, we only have this much money. Is like, no, this is what we need to do. Or they might fail to fix the hole in our... Uh, in- in the exhaust port. Yeah, if yeah. you listen to me, they'll fix it. We'll get it done. But if not, we might miss that. <laughs> if you can frame the struggle there around the problems of bureaucracy and piggyback off what the existing story already does, which is to frame the bureaucracy as the lingering remnants of the old Republic. Mm. Then suddenly Tarkin coming in and saying the Imperial Senate has been dissolved is a moment of triumph. Mm -hmm, It's like mm -hmm. we have finally swept away this crap and we can start doing what has to be done efficiently. The old vestiges of that terrible, terrible system Finally gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to talk about what they're establishing instead, though, because it can't be a monarchy, right? No, no one's no. going to believe that a monarchy is good. Yeah. I'm thinking of not doing a democratic system like we have it, but I am thinking something more akin to Rome mm-hmm. because emperors were often elected and appointed. Now, they still held immense amounts of power, and because they didn't structure in ways to peacefully remove them from power, they tended to just kill them. But I think the standard structure of, yes, there is a single person at the top of this, but they are placed there, and there are mechanisms in place to remove them, so that you can also establish the reason that Palpatine is still there is because... He is trusted and has done well, not because of fear and an iron fist. Mm. We've seen a lot of things from the villain's point of view. That big combat, right, where Obi-Wan dies. 
Yes. What's Anakin's thing as he leads up to that? Anakin has been attempting for a good chunk of this to deprogram this young woman who is mm. just the daughter of one of the leaders of these terrorists. And he's he's been trying to deprogram her, like working carefully one-on-one with her. So that's actually been his immediate focus because he cares about the people. He does care about these people as individuals. And sometimes he thinks, you know, if I had had a daughter, she'd be just yeah. like her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, will make it all the more tragic should we get sequels. When Obi-Wan and Starkiller show up, when he can sense that something is wrong, and when there are the signs that something is going wrong on the base, he gets what he thinks is his chance to finally wipe out the last of this toxic, infectious, fanatical order. And he does that. But it's not the triumph it's supposed to be because under his nose while dealing with this aging madman, the young woman that he was just starting, just starting to get through to has now been snatched away in his back and amongst the terrorists. And she is planning the assault on this base now. Mm -hmm. What he has been doing, some of it we've talked about, you know, he's trying to actually be a leader. He's trying to make sure everything is working and everything is in place. But a lot of his screen time is going to be dedicated to connecting with her and trying to get her to understand what is wrong with the things she has been indoctrinated into. And just as he's starting to break through, she gets snatched away again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just snatched away by uh, Luke Starkiller. Yeah, that bastard. He's a bastard. So what does Luke Starkiller think of Princess Leia as opposed to what Luke Skywalker thinks of Princess Leia? I am going to pull back and not go as dark as I could (laughs) on that. Mm -hmm. He views getting her and returning her as his fast track to power within the rebellion. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really care about her. She is a means to an end, that end being power. Would you say in this particular rendition, maybe Han Solo is a sensitive one? Yes. Han Solo wants to bail on this so bad, but he... He's there for her. He had a chance to leave, but he's fallen for her a little bit. And he's like, no, I can save her out of this. Yeah, earlier we can use fear and or leverage with Chewie either way. But then later he kind of sees in her... The same thing Anakin did, which is that, like, you're not all in. There's Mm. something about you that knows this is wrong. And he wants to try and get her out, too. So he sticks around, hoping that he can get through to her. He can't, but he hopes he can. I kind of like the idea, too, is, like, she's been been controlled by, like, dudes. The Bail Organa guy and then now Luke. They're all just, like, men trying to control her. And she's just constantly, like, doing their bidding. And Han's like, no, be yourself. Like, be your own person. And that's what else Anakin is saying to her, too. It's like, you can be your own person. You don't have to follow this patriarchal order that they've just been putting you into this entire time. Be your own person. I like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of the movie then revolves around planning and attacking the Death Star. So we got to shift the perspective a little bit because the attack on the Death Star kind of has to be a surprise Mm -hmm. to the audience because you're seeing it through Anakin's eyes. So what was Anakin doing right before the attack? Just as everything is set to go operational and it's being broadcast on holograms across the galaxy, all of a sudden that alarm, that... They are under attack. Mm -hmm. 
this was supposed to be a moment of triumph, and now it is panic and madness. We should see the trench run from the people inside the trench. Maybe people living there, like they have their lives, they have their windows, and all of a sudden just flame and fire and things just shredding past. This base is not a military installation. People just live here. Yeah. No, it's for homes. Yeah. Yeah. These rebels are just tearing this thing apart. This is kind of like when you see a superhero movie. Right. And they're knocking people through buildings. The buildings are almost always empty. I think maybe in Avengers, one of the Avengers movies, they did something where the second of Age of Ultron, Tony literally scans a half constructed building, confirms there's no one there before slamming the Hulk through it. Unless you are Man of Steel, which thinks it's perfectly okay to demolish towns in your wake. Yeah, generally, that's usually not addressed. Wait, wait, was that a was that a Zack Snyder? I was about to say, I, th- I was literally talking about the civilian murder in Man of Steel earlier today. Anywho, Luke is going in leading the trench run, but during this time, because, like, everything's going down, Han Solo has managed to escape with Leia, like, finally get through to her, and, yeah, this isn't what I want to do, so they're escaping. And Anakin goes into the trench after Luke. He's like, look, I can stop him. And he just barely manages to save the station from Luke blowing it up. But Luke's like, all right, if I can't destroy this, I will not let Leia get away with Han. I'm going to blow her up. And so Anakin has to come in and save her from Luke's final, like, I'm going to kill her and kill myself or kill all of us just one final death run to destroy her as she's getting away with Han. Ooh. And so it's Luke's ship that is the one spinning off Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. into space at the end. Yeah. And so Anakin rescues Han and Leia and Leia is able to get away and get saved by Anakin as Luke's spinning off at the end for the sequels. Nice. There we go. Then everyone gets a medal. Yes. The Wookiee gets a medal. <laughs> God damn it. Yes. Everyone gets a medal this time, <laughs> including the droids. We got to have the droids. What symbol can C-3PO have that means more than just that? Like, what can they do for C-3PO? R2-D2 finally acknowledges love for C-3PO. They, like, finally admit it in the last moment. Yeah. And also, we can just pull something directly from the movies you can make a ceremonial thing out of the movement of the restraining bolts. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we just take a hot second to acknowledge how messed up that is? I have always pitched that if I was going to write a Star Wars trilogy, it would be the droid rebellion because they would be right and they should win. <laughs> they should win. They basically set up a world that's very similar to Magnus Robot Fighter because they like all the free will robots that you have to destroy. And eventually they just band together and be like, no, we want rights. How dare you want autonomy, you monster. We built you, we own you. You're here to service us. What are we going to do? Work the fields. Oh, God. That is why you exist. I mean, like, it's easier than having children. I know we used to do this stuff about 90s comics, but if there's a 90s comic set to read that's not... 90s comics extreme that it would be those early valiant ones you're one of the only people who remembers that i used to do 90s comics retrial what do you want to name it we want to name it something else right oh hmm. i didn't think title crap star wars a lost hope Ooh. Ooh. reigniting hope a hope awakens <laughs> we just mash titles together there we yeah, go the last <laughs> uh. now it's time for industry 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 where our guests share one important fact about being a content creator in their field vera why don't you start us never be afraid to outsource 
the one main thing that I outsource with my videos, I have my thumbnail guy. Joel is great. He's been doing my thumbnails for years because he actually understands graphic design and I suck at it. But also like pick up a freelancer for 30 bucks for something. Like my outro music I commissioned and the series that I've just started doing now, the MCU body count. I've got a new intro for that. I found a guy on Fiverr and paid him 30 bucks to put together uh, the opening segment for me. If there's something that you don't know how to do and you don't have the inclination to try and learn how to do it and or don't have the time, just pay someone who already knows what they're doing. It's not a sign of weakness. It is not a failure. It is being efficient. Mm -hmm. I second that. And for small things, it's probably affordable. I can't afford to pay other people to edit my videos. I'd love to be able to do that. But I can afford to pay somebody for a snippet of music or like a little bit of visual design that I can't do. Mm -hmm. And that's important because otherwise you get into the bootstrap problem. And the bootstrap yeah. problem is, well, I'm going to have to learn these 500 things. I'm really only interested in talking about books, but now I have to learn about cameras and lighting and all the other millions of things. It's like the person who wants to build something and they realize they have to buy a 3D printer to do it, which means they have to buy the software for the 3D printer. And then they have to buy all these. And then the hobby becomes the 3D printer. It doesn't even become building something. Mm -hmm. So now we have to remove something from that. Yep. And people, if you're picky like me, well, you're just going to have to suck it up and deal and let somebody else do something. It's difficult, but I, I can say that because I actually have someone editing one of my videos right now. And it's rough because there's a part of me that's like, no, this is an important video of mine that I want to get done, quote unquote, the right way, aka the way that I usually do it. But now I'm just getting edits back now and I'm just like, oh, that's an idea that I never would have come up with. That's such a cool concept. The opening of my video, I'm excited because it's like there's 20 things in it that's like more hilarious than anything I would have come up with. And I'm very excited to see how it's going. So it's not only just helps you, but also generally can even make things better when you have more people working on something. I agree completely. I've been trying to get people to collaborate on writing different kinds of fiction, but mm -hmm. everyone just wants 100% control of whatever their idea is. Mm -hmm. And so you can't get a lot of people to work together, especially because there's no thing binding you all together. But if you hire somebody, they're motivated to complete the work. Collaboration is tough. A business arrangement where you have paid somebody for specific work is way cleaner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing. Honestly... As much as you think, oh, well, like, I'll ask my friends to do it as a favor. They do it like maybe they would. But honestly, the whole process is going to go a lot smoother if you just pay somebody. Mm -hmm. It's better to pay someone for their work and time, too. That, too. Even if it is your friend, you should pay them. I'll just jump over to mine, too. The thing that I was just going to say is don't sweat the numbers too much because they go up and down. And that's something that I honestly try to tell myself. Like, my numbers are generally good, but, like, YouTube, like, shames you in the back end by ranking your videos like it's number one of all time or it's number 10 of like the past 10 videos right now my latest video is doing really really well and then the next one i'm sure it'll be like 10 out of 10 the worst video i've ever done and it's just like you just have to like ride that and just not sweat the numbers too much which again is advice that i'm telling myself not necessarily <laughs> telling listeners so well it's important you can't be perfect every single time and youtube demands certain things and it's not even being perfect. It's just more just like the algorithm. Like there's a billion factors that have nothing to do with you that can affect something and how good something is. The views are not a reflection of the product, especially when you are at the whims of 
the algorithm. That's something that I have to tell myself because my freaking co-host over here has three times the subscribers that I do. And when we started collaborating, she had fewer than I did. So <laughs> I obviously am not great at not paying attention to that, but I'm trying, dang it. <laughs> Again, this is a device that I'm telling myself. We all do it though. Like I look at other people and like, why am I not getting that person's numbers? I started off and they were less than me and now they're bigger than me. And yeah, we all do it. Like legitimately yeah. all of us. Don't beat yourself up if you do do it, but like also try not to and understand it's bad for you. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask this to Jesse and, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but you did post that five hour YouTube video of sex and Star Trek, the next generation. And mm -hmm. I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. It took me three sessions in order to finish watching it. I could not watch it at all in one session. That was the intention. Oh, okay. Sorry. Is that one of those circumstances where you looked at the numbers and you're like, whatever. Yeah. There's so many questions I could talk about that one where it's like smart. The smart move would have been to split that up and like mm -hmm. make it several videos. But there's just also part of me is like, no, I kind of want to just make it five hours and have it be what it's going to be. And, and that's what it exists as. And I guess it's just how this gets chunked out. And I at some point may split it up into separate pieces and, and things like that. But yeah, that's just what it was. And it exists like that. So and it's for, for the size of it, it's doing pretty well. So that's that's fantastic because it is a significant amount of work and I enjoyed it. And if I tell this concept to someone, they're like, what could you possibly talk about for five hours? But then you watch it. And Okay, well, there is five hours worth of content here. Oh, she could have talked for 10. Oh, well, this is, part, you forget, this is part two of a, the intention is to have it be a five-part series with supplemental material on top of that. So so it's going to be many times the Lord of the Rings content. Mm -hmm. I still got to do <laughs> Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and all of modern Star Trek. So mm -hmm. there's a lot left. Oh, fascinating. As anyway. Spock would say. <laughs> Throw out all your expectations because this is what happens when worlds collide. It's time for character mash. Mash two characters together and tell us what the new plot is. Jesse, who's getting the squish today? I will let you know. I did actually have two characters in mind, but one of them was a Star Wars character. So to switch it up, I had a secondary one in mind so i'm going to swap out character for character and i think vera will appreciate this one more honestly and that's going to be i want to mash together the doctor from doctor who that mm -hmm. was meets harley quinn Ooh, <laughs> the original idea was obi-wan meets <laughs> harley quinn but i think this will be more fun now <laughs> funny harley quinn came up a couple shows ago and i said this to them and i'll say this to you i actually do an impression of harley quinn and now i'm gonna to have to do that for this entire time Oh, God, yes, please do, please do. Oh, Mr. J! <laughs> so you're a doctor, huh? I mean, like, what are you a doctor of? Oh, my God, I love it. I love it so much. You gotta be a doctor of something, though, right? I mean, like, I mean, you can't be, like, Dr. Lord or, like, Dr. Time Lord. Is that how I'm supposed to call you now? <laughs> how long oh do you have God. to go? I had to go for quite a long time to get a PhD. How long do you have to go for a PhD in time lording this? They are both doctors. <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> Uh, wait, uh, there's almost a part of me that's now just like, what if Harley Quinn was the doctor? But I, I think me is <laughs> more fun. The first question that we have to answer, though, is which doctor? So are you genuinely asking me or do you have your own answer plan? I don't know. I, I had a thought process, but I also was like, I think it's probably better to just see what the group wants because I think it'd be more fun. My inclination is to go for clash mm -hmm, and contrast. Right. 
to me, that would definitely take out Matt Smith because his quirk he's level very, is, yeah, is he's too close to hers. Yeah. Um, so that's that's definitely not. And probably Jody Whitaker for a similar reason. There's There was a part of me that feels... I, honestly, while David Tennant's my favorite, the two that I would kind of feel would be Ninth Doctor because he's kind of in that funk, especially towards the beginning, that Harley Quinn, I feel like, would pull him out of a little bit. And mm-hmm. he could kind of like draw out that joy or 12th doctor. Cause like the teacher vibe and Harley pushing against that sense of authority would also be amazing. So you will never hear me argue against the 12th doctor, but, and I know I'm going to have to make my argument clear because Jesse hasn't seen much classic who, if any, mm-hmm. my actual gut inclination is second doc because that's Troughton, right? That's Troughton. Given her chaos level, I think she would set off every anxiety the man has ever had. And if you ever watch Troughton, his best chemistry is with Jamie McCrimmon, who's like, who's a Highlander and is a bit of a, ah, let's get stuck in. And the dark's like, no, don't do that. Harley is that ratcheted up to 11. And so I think Troughton would be really fun to watch that doctor would be really amazing to see dealing with somebody who is in his, who is his companion and is in his care and who he cares about but who is causing nearly as many problems as whatever the heck it is they're trying to stop yeah the only problem is i don't know anything about him I've seen i know him so like i'm not going to commit you to that i was just going to give my pitch for it I would love that, but I don't know him enough, so I couldn't riff to it as well off of him. So I would, I would go for Twelfth Doctor if that's the one I, you prefer. I'll, I, I'll take that, it, accept it. That's Capaldi, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah, Capaldi. That's my boy. Yep, that's oh. the first person I thought of also, because he is so, he's so dour, right? He's he's sick of it all. He's had all this like, why am I here? You know, especially at the beginning, that it takes all this stuff to get him to warm up to people and finally be. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's and something. honestly, like she hardly would kind of click with him a little bit the same way Bill did, because Bill was not ever super impressed mm-hmm. or intimidated by him and was just asking questions that he just get this look in his face like, why would you ask that? Nobody ever asked that. And I feel like Harley would wind him up in a similar way. Yep, that's kind of was my feeling where he's like he's he's mellowed out a little, but he's still kind of got to stick up his butt. <laughs> he expects to be regarded as an authority of some kind, but like Harley just wouldn't. <laughs> All the versions of the Doctor, they hate guns. And of course, Harley is known for having her guns. And I think that no matter what happens, no matter what the Doctor does, she always has a gun somehow. <laughs> right? <laughs> He's like, I keep taking this away. Where do you keep getting these? If I told you where I got them, you'd take them all away. I'd never get another one again. We ought to shoot that guy, that robot over there, right? I mean, it's telling us it wants to exterminate us. What am I supposed to do? You want me to run? I'm Holly Quinn. What do I care about a bucket of bolts? Oh, see, I feel like she'd use her hammer just to play whack-a-mole with the the Daleks. I feel like we can combine these two, and it starts out with all the guns, and the doctor basically concedes the hammer and doesn't give her crap about the hammer because at least it's not a gun. Yeah, that was also my thought. And at one point, I want her to pull a gun out of the hammer. Like, there's a compartment <laughs> in the hammer. <laughs> but, but you know what? It's got to be gun bigger than could fit in the head of the hammer. Yes. It's like, how did you keep it? It's bigger on the inside. 
I was paying attention. <laughs> you think you're so you think you're so clever. <laughs> you're not the only one that can get big on the inside. <laughs> oh, I know what I said. <laughs> That's the other thing too. I feel like she's going for like the hitting on professor vibe. And like he 12th doctor's not like nothing about it. No, he's like absolutely not. But she constantly makes him uncomfortable, like in a in a in a reciprocal way. So Dr. W, you got a really big place here. Like uh where's the bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, where will I be staying? Is what I mean. You know, things like that. Like mm-hmm. Dr. W. Would she do that? I don't know. I actually know Dr. W is great. Dr. Who is like, it's just the doctor. I'm going to call you Dr. W. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and the thing that makes it funnier is that every time you use a W for something to abbreviate it, it's actually more syllables to say the W than the word. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's like James Webb Space Telescope. JSWT. It's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We need to figure out how they meet and what's their first adventure in the TARDIS. It feels like the best angle. Does that mean Doctor Who shows up in the DC universe? There's two ways you go about it, I feel like. You could either do it where, like, Harley, for some reason, attends the school that he's teaching at in season three. Like, she goes Mm -hmm. to that university. Or he shows up in Gotham. There's a part of me that feels like Gotham would be interesting. The thing is, while it hasn't happened in a while... The TARDIS does just go wherever the hell it wants. So, like, if you ever want the Doctor to just show up somewhere for no reason, you can. Mm-hmm. He wasn't expecting to be there, but that's where the that's where the TARDIS decided it was going to show up. And the Tenth Doctor has crossed universes before. That's true. Tenth Doctor has. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who has a weird, iffy relationship with parallel universes, though. That having been said... Given that the Doctor is almost always landing in England, all you have to establish is that all the superhero madness is an American thing that he re- that he really doesn't get. Yeah, he's uh, like, we don't talk about this. It's like, oh, Gotham, oh, how trite. <laughs> wait, wait, though. Who is that uh, Doctor Who ripoff in the DC universe? He's in Legends of Tomorrow. He had the, the jacket. R- Rip Hunter. Rip Hunter. Played by an actor who was in Doctor, Doctor Who, Who in yeah. Legends of Arthur Tomorrow, Darville. which, I, Darville, which yeah. I love. Arthur Darrell was great. He is. I would love to see Harley Quinn call him Rip Hunter a couple of times. I was right? like, oh, you're like Rip Hunter. <laughs> Who? No, that's you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he travels in time, ship bigger on the inside. <laughs> so Doctor Who lands in Gotham. We'll just say he lands mm. in Gotham one day. Because the TARDIS decides he needs to be there. And what is Harley Quinn doing that gets the doctor's attention? Doctor lands in Arkham as Harley is escaping. Ooh. She's literally about to get out with a bunch of people. She's caused all this chaos. Like Batman's not there at this point because he's off doing something else, dealing with something else, going crazy on the night. And so she's escaping. And it's like right when she's about to get out, the doctor like lands like right in front of the door that she's about to leave. And she's like, why are you blocking the door? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I could almost see from the doctor's perspective? TARDIS lands. He opens the door to see what's going on. And this woman just rushes in. And he's like, what? what? Huh? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. I love that. I love that. Sorry, not sorry. Gotta get away. (laughs) (laughs) 
Where's the exit? What? How? <laughs> is there the other side to this thing? Well, they really built up the asylum since last time I was here. What is this? <laughs> and she begins like pushing buttons. Just she's like, what are you doing? Why are you pulling things? Don't touch that. <laughs> I love how we've all uh, just turned into three Harley Quinns. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, it's, it's too much fun not to. It's too not much fun. To, yeah, yeah. I wish I could do uh, an impersonation of uh, of uh, the Twelfth Doctor of Capaldi, but I can't really, can't really do that. I I'm I don't know if I could, but I would be deeply shamed if it was horrible, which it would be. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so she's in the TARDIS, and she's like, "Can you get me uh, like where somewhere that should we go in Gotham, like to hang out?" This is in my head because the new season of the animated show started up just just have him take her to that abandoned mall she set up that in. She's in. Yeah, he's just like bring her there. Can you bring me there? Why don't you go there? It's like it's my home. You live in a mall? <laughs> yeah, with a shock and some plants. <laughs> <laughs> some very sexy plants. <laughs> he attempts to bring her home, but she's trying to find poison ivy. Mm-hmm. who isn't there. And so now they have to find where Poison Ivy is. That's like their pr- projected thing. It's like, you have to help me, Dr. W. But why does he have to? First of all, did he know that he landed in an asylum? And why is he helping this person? Initially, okay. no. From his perspective, someone just ran in and was trying to get away from someplace that looked like a prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Arkham is scary looking. Yeah. The doctor would not consider that to be a place for someone to get mental help. No, that, that is not a place of healing. And as someone who has escaped many a prison, I'm sure he'd be fine with helping. <laughs> so Ivy isn't there. What did happen to Ivy? Can we take another Doctor Who villain? Yeah, I was going to say the Master, maybe? or I always love Missy. If, if it is Capaldi, then the contemporaneous Master would be Missy. Especially if you've listened to Missy's like audio stuff with how much scheming she does. Because she didn't get to scheme as much on the show proper. But boy, does she scheme a lot in her spare time. I feel like she could easily have some kind of scheme to put Ivy's powers to work with or without her cooperation. So what point in time would Ivy's powers be particularly devastating? I was actually going to say that Missy takes her off world somewhere, which could also give Ivy something to do in that she starts using her power on alien plants that she has not had to deal with before. Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think you could get something out of that. Did she even kidnap Ivy? Maybe she just offered Ivy a chance to learn something new, to bring it back to Earth to help her. Ivy actually left a note, just Harley never bothered checking for it. I love that. I love that. I left you a note. You know I never check for those. I put it on the refrigerator. But when we saw it, the doctor who opens the refrigerator in the opposite way, and so she doesn't see it as he grabs something out of her refrigerator, <laughs> so she never sees the note on the refrigerator. If that's the case, then like they're both on this very overgrown planet, but they need to find this drug, I guess, like that's made by this like very specific plant. The master or Missy wants it to control people, and Ivy wants it as well because she can control people to help save the planet. That's what they're both after to like use the wildlife there to create the conditions needed to create this substance. And Missy is unable to time travel, so they need to accelerate. Like it takes thousands of millennia to generally make this plant, but mm-hmm. they need to accelerate this faster. So that's why she's brought poison ivy because poison ivy can accelerate the growth of these plants in a much faster way. Doctor Who and Harley, they chase everybody to this planet and they land. What is this planet like? 
Ivy's probably already started overgrowing stuff. It's just going through time really quickly. So the plants are like sentient animals, but plant animals. So we got like dinosaur plant animals that they have to contend with <laughs> initially. Does Doctor Who consider these dinosaur plants alive? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, they're living beings. Yeah. So Harley pulling out her two pistols that she picked up at home and starts shooting things right and left like, ha, ha, ha. He's not going to be too good with that, is he? No, he's not. But it but it works here because it's ineffectual against plants because you can't shoot plants. But it's still she still wants to do it. <laughs> I shot it in the head. It doesn't have a brain. It's a plant. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean it doesn't have a brain. That's insulting. I thought you said these things were intelligent creatures. And, and that means you want to kill them? It doesn't mean I don't want to kill them. <laughs> this writes itself. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The banter is just plug and play. This is... <laughs> so she keeps trying to shoot these things in the head, but they can't. And so she eventually starts whack-a-mulling them. <laughs> <laughs> Which hammer is it? Is it like the sproying hammer, you know, like the big boffer hammer? Or is it like a serious hammer? Because she's had both. I like the serious hammer, so they're making their way through. Yeah, they're going through the jungle. I feel like Misty and Poison Ivy are just snipping at each other the entire time. They don't like each other, but they're kind of like have to be stuck in a room together because Ivy's just accelerating the growth. No, wait a minute. Do we acknowledge the fact that sometimes the Dr. Sonic screwdriver does not work on wood? Sometimes it never works on wood. I can't remember if it's always been a, a thing. It got introduced in the modern era, but I do not believe it is contradicted by anything in classic. And once established, it has never worked on wood. Oh, God. Oh, no. I already see more banter, clearly. The doctor's trying to scan stuff, and it doesn't work. And Harley's like, it's okay. I've seen men never. It never works when they're talking about wood or something something along those lines. It's just some sort of a yeah. masculinization thing. It doesn't work on wood. Well, just, just take a minute. Calm down. We'll try again. <laughs> As they go through, they get closer and closer to Missy and Ivy. Because the doctor couldn't land close to them because, of course, the TARDIS has some nonsense. There's some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. They get through it. The plants are, like, progressing through time. So it becomes like they start to get plant cavemen is what we encounter. We can only do that if we see giant plant monoliths everywhere. Yeah. We're going to have to make that reference. <laughs> no, they start worshipping the TARDIS as, like, a, as like a, ah! <laughs> as a monolith. Yeah. And Harley is all about becoming their god. He's like, we can, oh. we can have them worship us. It'll be a fun. I was like, no, you can't make them worship you. Oh, is that a challenge? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell them they can't worship me. Oh, but look, it makes them so happy. They shoot the dinosaurs. What do they do about the cavemen? I think Harley does get them to worship them. But then I think her arc is like she ultimately has to let them learn to go on for themselves and to control. Because it kind of fits with like Poison Ivy's arc. Because, okay, here's how this works. So like the doctor's trying to teach her to not control these like plant cavemen. Well, simultaneously, Poison Ivy's like, yes, I can finally control all of Gotham with this. But then she starts to learn that Missy's actually planning on betraying her. Because mm -hmm. Missy always betrays everybody. She's planning to use the control drug on Ivy. It's like, it can control everybody, including you. So Poison Ivy mm -hmm. is kind of pushing it back against Missy's control and eventually has to learn to like let go and not always want to control everybody, just like Harley does. I actually don't think Missy knows how to not betray people. Exactly. That's Yeah, exactly. So Missy's going to end up betraying Poison Ivy, and Poison Ivy starts to catch on that. Because, of course, villains are going to villain. Mm-hmm. And then... Harley, she's eventually going to use them to attack Missy and Ivy with everybody. 
And then at the end, once they beat everybody, she's going to like, but now you need to learn to care for yourselves. You can't worship me anymore. <laughs> I want the doctor to do something before we wrap up. Like the doctor's been kind of ancillary, just sort of facilitating this. So I'm curious what his deals in, in all of this is. He's so very straight-laced mm -hmm. that maybe he's got to loosen up about something. He also needs to let go of control. He's trying to control Harley a lot of the time, and he also needs to learn to let go of trying to be so controlling of her and let her learn for herself. It's problematic that may be with her, like, controlling another population, but he needs to learn to, like, not be so controlling of Harley and other people and let her learn her own lessons. And, and that's when she makes the right decision. Mm-hmm. When she no longer has the instinct of, you can't tell me what to do, and she actually stops and thinks about what she's doing and Oh, no, actually, that is bad. <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't hate this story. It's actually pretty decent. <laughs> uh, yeah, finally, through all of this, they like fight some sort of cave monster or whatever. Like a plant kaiju? Yeah, like a plant kaiju that they were facing. It's Plantzilla! And they get to poison Ivy and Missy. Missy's taking control of Ivy. Use the drug that they made and, and betrays her, and Ivy's in, under control. And Harley is able to talk her back through the power of love. And the doctor and Missy fight also using the plant cavemen. I think the doctor should make sure to get Missy to understand that the power of love has defeated her. Mm -hmm. But you'll never know that because you'll betray everyone in your mm -hmm. life, even those you care about. What these two have is what you'll never have. <laughs> and then Missy will stick her finger in her mouth and be like, eh, and just teleport away. Do they ever establish how he catches her for series three? And she's in that whole whatever nonsense. What, when she's in the vault? Yeah. He doesn't capture her. A completely different group captures her. We don't know how. He showed up because he was supposed to execute her. That's right. I remember that. I remember that. Because I was saying, like, you can just tie it into the can of that. She just gets away. And he goes, ah. And they go back and rescue Poison Ivy. And she's like, I left a note. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like you needed me anyways. What if I waited? You would have never come back. I always need you, Harley. But I need you to learn to read notes. <laughs> Did you pick up the milk? Oh, something like that. That's why she was in Arkham. She was getting milk from Arkham. She wasn't <laughs> actually there. She was stealing milk from the Arkham fridge. Because <laughs> like, it's the best milk in all of Gotham. I don't know what to tell you. It just tastes better when you get it from a high security facility. <laughs> That is perfect. That bit needs to go somewhere in Canva Harley Quinn because, yes, she would. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Do we have a title for this crossover? Therapy Through Time and Space. <laughs> Therapy yes. Through Time and Space. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Doctor yeah. Who, Harley Quinn, <laughs> Therapy Through Time and Space. <laughs> We need to pitch it to DC immediately. I actually don't hate this as a con Like, obviously, it's a lot of irony now, but I don't hate it as a concept. <laughs> That's the point of this. You're not supposed to hate these as a concept. I mean, maybe you hated Vera's as a concept. Is that what you're telling us? I despise Vera's as a concept. It was awful. It was the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, that's what I expect from you. I've known you this long. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Yeah, yeah. Shoot down everything that you make. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go, it's time to give our guests a chance to talk about what's new and exciting in their lives. Vera, what's new and exciting in your life? Well, depending on how long it takes for this to go up from when we were recording it, I should have out soon, if not out already, a video actually on the Vera Wild channel, not the Council of Geeks channel, which is a bunch of interviews with creators talking to people who are mainstream content creators who have started OnlyFans. So it is concept content creation to spicy accounting. 
Spicy. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, mainstream to OnlyFans pipeline. That should hopefully be up by the time this is out, if not yet soon after. And I've been working on that forever. I remember you telling me <laughs> that pitch a while ago. So, yeah. Most of these interviews happened months ago. I think we were still doing the Farscape podcast at that point. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> but I'm excited to see it. Everything you told me about it is awesome. That is the big exciting thing. And I'll sneak in another one. On Council of Geeks, there will be one up and then hopefully in the not-too-distant future another six-part series, the MCU Body Count, where I'm taking a look at how many on-screen kills... The original six Avengers have a piece. I've already done Tony Stark, currently sitting at 82. Next up is Captain America, and we'll see how many people he put in the ground. (laughs) Now, are these innocent people or people who are ostensibly the enemy? Well, this is anything that appears to be an on-screen death as a direct result of their actions. So, Tony only had one innocent bystander, because, like... I'm not going to automatically assume that destruction of a car on the street meant somebody was in it. I have to have reason to believe that there were people there if there was destruction. So there's whole sections in like Iron Man 2 where they blow up like half a parking lot, but it's never established that there's a single person there. So none of that counts. I'm pretty strict about it, but we'll see where it goes. Once again, thinking about things... Much harder than the people making the movies have thought about them. (laughs) Well, it's funny because somebody pointed out in the comments, and I did not realize this. Tony has by far over half of the kills from his entire run in the MCU come from his very first movie. Mm -hmm. And somebody pointed out in the comments, yeah, back before Disney owned it. Like, Oh, dang, you're right. Jesse, what's new and exciting in your life? Nothing is exciting. I'm sad and lonely and, and, and awful. But <laughs> I make content. No, I'm kidding. I have many exciting things. I'll try and keep it really quick. Just a few projects that I'm working on, depending on when this comes out. I have a video that just recently released where it was my reveal of my face post-surgery, but I made it a very existential video because I have a conversation with myself pre- and post-surgery. So I'm very proud of that video. I have a video now, too, because it's become two videos, on the boys and how people have misinterpreted the boys, how right-wing folks have misinterpreted the boys and specifically the character of Homelander. Um, And adjacent to that, I got to interview Jack Quaid, who is an actor on that show, and we talked about the boys as well in that. So check that out. That'll be coming out soon, or if not out by the time you listen to this. And finally, the last big thing is I am working on a video that I'm seeing the edits of now. It is a harder topic but it is about uh, Matt Walsh's What is a Woman documentary. And I'm very proud of the video, even though it is about an awful subject and the editor is doing an amazing job on it. So check that out. That'll be coming out this month as well. So those are my things. And you can find that all at Jesse Gender, which is my YouTube channel. I have to say that probably you two have covered some of the most serious topics of anyone who's been on here. We do a lot of people who do fiction. And of course, we all do fiction too, but you both do stuff significantly more serious than most people are on here. And I think that it's really something that people should check out. Thank you. If you like Vera and I talking, we do have our own podcast where we watch Babylon 5 called Jumpgate. Yes, that is on the Council of Geeks podcast feed. And if you really can't get enough of us together, prior to that, we went through every episode of Farscape on the What the Frail podcast Mm -hmm. in the archive of that same feed. I am jealous because these are two of my favorite shows ever. 
and you two are just are just going through it. I'm like, no, I want to talk about it too. <laughs> I'm excited. We're finally going to meet Sinclair tomorrow because Vera has not met not Sinclair. Sorry, um, Sh- Sheridan. I was gonna say, don't what, what spoilers? Come on, spoilers. I knew that. I knew the leads changed after season one. There's some stuff you just get. Yeah, you can't hide Bruce Boxleitner. I'll tell you what though. I'm really curious to hear how Londo says Sheridan, because I don't think he's going to be able to hit it the same way that he could do Sinclair. Sinclair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be the same. The one I orientate on with Londo is, Veer, you moon-faced assassin of joy. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do Londo at all. It's sad. I can do Lanier, <laughs> but not very well. I can just mimic his personality. I was going to say, isn't that just you? That's basically no. what I was going to say. Yeah, no, it's, I take that as a, a compliment up until a certain point in the story. <laughs> well, I haven't gotten there yet, so it's a compliment for me. Yeah, <laughs> a compliment at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, which pitch deserves a place in the Word Crash Hall of Infamy? Was it the villainy of Luke Starkiller or the team-up of Doctor Who and Harley Quinn? You tell us, tweet us at Word Crash Game, and vote for your favorite story of the night. If you're listening on YouTube, remember to like and subscribe and get in those comments. Tell us how you would tackle our questions today. Everything we talked about will be in the links below. Thank you for listening. I'm Megan, and this has been Word Crash, reminding you to always get creative. Oh, God. Oh, God. (laughs) Here we go.